John chapter 4, beginning at verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Lorna, thank you for reading. Good morning, everybody. Um, I, I like to think I've got quite a sophisticated, cultured sense of humour. But I also quite like um, quite silly things. Um, I particularly quite like funny signs from around the world. Do, do you know the sort of thing um, I mean? Um, you, you might have seen these, these signs on, on Facebook. That they're kind of intentionally funny. Um, uh, let's see if this works. Have you seen this one? Uh, never trust a train, they have locomotives. Uh, dogs can't operate MRI scanners, but cats scan. This one for the medics. Um, our mountains aren't just funny, they're hilarious. That's a good one. So you get, you get some, some, some signs, don't you? Um, they're intentionally funny, they're not trying to do anything uh, instructive, uh, they're just trying to there to entertain. But, but even funnier than that uh, are signs that are trying to do something. They're trying to, trying to tell you something, to lead people somewhere, uh, and yet they miss the mark. Um, so uh, you get this one in a car park, private customer parking only, all others will be towed. I'm not sure if that's more of a threat or less of a threat, hard to know. And then this one from, from a factory, I love this one. Uh, Would the person who took the step ladder yesterday please bring it back, or further steps will be taken. <laughs> I can't believe that was real. Um, you see, they're trying to say something. They're trying to get people to, to act in a certain way, um, but they miss the mark. You, you'll have seen as one was reading our passage today. We, we get the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. If you were here um, a few weeks ago, then you'll, you'll have seen Jesus' first sign in Galilee at the wedding in Cana when he turned water into wine. And Jesus has done many other miraculous things uh, since then in, in Jerusalem, and lots of people have seen him. Jesus has gained quite a reputation and a following. And John told us back at that first sign why Jesus is doing these things. He's doing them to reveal his glory. 
and so that people would see him as the Messiah. That is why Jesus is performing these signs. And yet so far, what we've seen on the most part is that people have missed the point. People are following Jesus because of his performance value and not because of anything else. That's what we see at the start of our passage today. But wonderfully, that isn't all we see. So we'll look at these verses under a couple of headings. You, you should have them on the back of your service orders if that's helpful. Um, so two things I think this, this passage today encourages to do. Um, the first thing uh, is that it says don't let Jesus end with his signs and wonders. Don't let Jesus end with his, his signs and wonders. If you're here last week, then you'll, have, you'll remember that we last saw Jesus in the Samaritan town of Sychar, where he'd encountered a Samaritan woman at a well, and he'd, he told her everything about herself. He'd revealed that he knew everything, her sinful past and present. But the scene ended with, with her and tons of people in the town believing in Jesus as the saviour of the world. You get that at the end of verse 42 because of what the woman had said about Jesus and because of Jesus' words himself. And then today, we read that, verse 43, after the two days, the two days that he spent in Sychar and Samaria, he left for Galilee. And then we get a couple of strange verses, which are a little hard to understand at first. Firstly, in verse 44, we get this, this aside in brackets, which says that, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. His own country, there, it, it could be referring to Jerusalem. I guess that's the spiritual home of the Jews and, and where Jesus had been earlier in John's Gospel. But I think more likely it's referring to Galilee, where he is now gone, where Jesus was born. So if that's the case, why would Jesus go back somewhere where he had not been honoured? Well, I think a key to this is actually that first word in the brackets, now, I think a better, literal, more literal translation would be for. So for Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet had no honor in his own country. So actually, he is going back to Galilee because he had not yet been honored. I think John is trying to draw a contrast here between what has just happened in Samaria, where the Samaritans, Jesus, not his own people, had received him, as saviour with with genuine faith and joy. But in his home turf so far, his people have not received him. John tells us that in in chapter 1. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So I think that's why Jesus is going back, in a sense, to try again with his own people. But then the second strange thing, having said that he wasn't honoured there, I don't know if you picked it up in verse 45, It's that when Jesus arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So what's all that about? So Jesus wasn't honoured, and yet when he gets there, people welcome him. Well, I think we get the rest of the answer in in the remaining verse. Uh, Sorry, the, the, the answer in the rest of the verse. See, they had seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So the welcome he received, I think, was was not based on faith and true understanding, but on the signs and the miracles that they'd seen him perform in Jerusalem. I don't know if this is a helpful illustration, but I wonder if you've, you've come across the American actor Dan 
Castellaneta. Anyone heard of him? He's had a career spanning decades, been in multiple films and television programs. Yet the only reason you might have heard of him probably is because he does the voice for Homer Simpson and lots of other characters in The Simpsons. Now, if you've ever seen an interview with him on TV, you quickly realise that he's not really there because people are interested in him particularly. They're not interested in his character, his history, his, his life choices, his morals. What they wanted to do is, is do the voices. You know, they're just sort of basically prodding him with a stick until he does the Homer Simpson voice. You know, people are welcoming him, but they're not really interested in him. They're just interested in what he can do. And I think that's a bit what is going on here in these verses. People are glad to see him, but because of his skills, not because they see him yet as he truly is. And Jesus himself has has articulated that very issue back in chapter 2, when he says, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So Jesus had got plenty of crowds following him now, but he knows the hearts of every person. And so far, people have not come to him, as that Samaritan woman did, but instead they come to him with a, with a kind of flawed, fickle faith. So having established that general state of play in Galilee, John draws our attention to one particular person, this, this Roman official. Once more, in verse 46, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. So Jesus heads back to Cana, where he'd performed his first miracle. I think John is deliberately making that link there to make that point that Jesus is, in effect, coming back to try again with his people. And he meets a man described as a royal official. Now, we're not given any more details about him, But I think the most likely understanding is that he would have been a Jewish official serving under the so-called king of the time. That was Herod, a man, of course, who will feature prominently at the end of Jesus' life. The official, we know, had a son back at home in Capernaum. Capernaum is about 20 miles away from Cana. And his boy is on the brink of death. Brink of death with a fever. And the man, quite understandably is desperate. He's desperate for his boy to get better. So when he hears Jesus is back in town, he finds him. He seeks him out. And you see it there. He begs him to come back to his house in Capernaum to help his little boy. Perhaps he'd seen Jesus do similar things before in Jerusalem. Maybe he'd seen Jesus at the wedding doing amazing things. And he thought, just a touch, just a touch, and my boy will recover. But what Jesus says to him initially, and perhaps unexpectedly, is a rebuke. I don't know if you picked that up in verse 48. Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. So Jesus is speaking here to the official but actually, there's, there's that, that word, that you, is, is plural as well. You, you see he's also speaking to the people around him. Clearly, there was a, a crowd gathered as well, and Jesus is, is speaking to all of them. It's like he's saying to the official, 
Are you like these people around me who just want to see some spectacular things before you'll believe in me? Are you here just because you need something from me? Am I any different to you than from anyone else you might be able to help your son, a doctor, or some with a, a new miracle cure? Am I any different to any of those? It was Jesus' reputation as a healer at this point that had got the man to him. And Jesus is testing him, I think. He is testing to see if there's anything more beneath the service in this man. It's interesting, I think around the world there are, there are Christian believers who, who are a little bit like these crowds, whose, whose faith in God can be quite dependent on, on signs and wonders, on his ability to do spectacular stuff for them. You know, there are churches around the world where their relationship with God is built around these wonders, whether they're smoke appearing during meetings, abundant financial blessings, or inexplicable behavior during services. I've heard stories of, of worship leaders being sacked because they weren't inducing enough dramatic emotional reactions from God during the times of singing. If that was true here, I'd be out of a job a long time ago. So perhaps we're not like that. Perhaps we're not like that here. But maybe there are, there are more subtle traces of that in our faith. Maybe our faith in God depends on what we see him doing in our lives, and it goes up and down. So if we get that job that we've been striving for, or that relationship is going well, or, or we're in good health, well then we praise God, and all is well. But if things aren't going so well, things aren't ticking along quite as we'd like, then, then maybe God takes more of a back seat. And our trust and our worship and our commitment all becomes compromised. Do we see that in ourselves at all? It's a subtle but dangerous shift that means our focus is not so much on Jesus, but more on what he can do for us. If you think about the culture we live in in the, in the world at the moment, it's all about that. Isn't it? It's all about finding what we can get to satisfy us, to, to occupy our attention. And if it stops doing that, well, then we just we change the channel. We, we skip the track. We, we date someone else. We, we try a different church, and so on and so on. That is the world around us. Is that seeping into our faith in Jesus at all? Have we become sign seekers rather than saviour seekers? Are we here for wonders, not worship? And that's the challenge for us here in these first few verses. That was how most of the Galileans were seeing Jesus at that point. And it's what Jesus rebukes them for. We mustn't let Jesus end with his signs and wonders, what he can do for us. That's why he's testing the royal official in these verses. But wonderfully, that isn't where it ends for the royal official. So let's have a look at the next few verses as we get to our second heading. Let Jesus' signs and wonders lead you to his glory. Those, those next two verses, 49 and 50, are a, a dramatic shift in tone in the story. Jesus has just responded to the official with that, that testing rebuke. Are you just miracle hunters here for a show? I don't know how you would have responded at that point. I, I think it's quite likely I, I would have been a bit put out, probably, I might have raised my voice. You know, what are you talking about, Jesus? I don't care about any of those other people. I don't care about them. Just, can you help me? Can you help me or not? 
I think that's how I might have reacted at that point. But the official doesn't, does he? Do you see, he just calmly and respectfully repeats his request. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's not caught up with the flow of the crowd. All he cares about is his dying son. And it's that persistence and that genuine other person concern that wins Jesus over in verse 50. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. See how swiftly Jesus' initial reproach has been replaced by mercy. No further questions to be asked. No more delay. Just go. Your son will live. And see how that testing led the official to respond with faith. He took Jesus at his word and departed. No further questions from him to be asked either. No more delay from him. He believed Jesus and he left. And Jesus hasn't exactly given him the response he was hoping for. Remember how he twice now asked him to come back with him to Capernaum to see his son, to to see him, to lay hands upon him. But now, Jesus speaks a word. He spoke a word that the boy would live, and the official accepted it. That is the progression of faith that we see in the official. Not yet, I don't think, grasping fully Jesus as saviour. We'll get to that. But certainly a step on from seeing Jesus just as a miracle worker. Now he hears and believes Jesus' words to him and responds with faith. You see how John is shifting our attention away from signs and wonders to simply trusting in Jesus' words. And that's what John is trying to do to him. We'll come back to that later. But first let's get to the, the glorious conclusion of the story in these last few verses. We'll pick it up in verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. The journey back from Cana to Capernaum, it would have taken more than a day, so the official no doubt stayed the night somewhere en route. He wouldn't have known how his boy was. No phone calls, no no texts, no emails. No idea. And then the following day, as he's hurrying along, one of his servants meets him. Master, master, your boy is all right. He's getting better. What joy he must have felt at that moment. His boy lives. His boy lives. What relief he must have felt. Maybe you felt a similar relief. Someone you know, very ill, coming back to you. Someone you feared lost, living again. But even that isn't where the story ends. Even that isn't the climax. John goes on in verse 52. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. The father discovers that the boy was healed at the exact moment that Jesus had told him to go, your boy would live. And it is enough now to convince him that Jesus is infinitely more than just a miracle worker. He is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. And he and his whole household believe. 
You see, the healing of the boy was never an end in itself. It was always a sign to lead people to faith. And that's what it's done here. The sign has led to the saviour. So how then should we respond when we read a story like this? How does this sign to that man and his family lead us to see Jesus' glory for ourselves? That was John's aim, wasn't it? That we might see Jesus' glory. Well, well, firstly, it shows us a huge amount about Jesus' character and nature. We see, don't we, his grace. At the same time that Jesus is frustrated with the crowd for their unbelief, he then gives this man a glorious sign that leads him to faith. What mercy that is. What mercy that is. We see his grace. And we see his power, don't we? Jesus is 20 miles away from this boy. And yet with just a word, he is healed. Completely, instantly. What power we see Jesus has. And what trustworthiness we see. Jesus' words here are utterly reliable. They are flawless. They are firm enough to build our lives upon too. And then when we see that about Jesus, when we see his grace, his power, his trustworthiness, well then it leads us, doesn't it, to come to him just as the official did. Maybe you're here this morning and and you wouldn't call yourself a believer yet and you're still investigating what you think about all these things. Well, Well, get what John is doing here. John is trying to show you these things that you may believe, be convinced that he is the saviour. This is the second sign that John records. The final sign is an empty tomb. A man dead on a cross, rising to new life, so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life, just as the official did. That was the final sign. So keep reading John's gospel to see if you believe that's true or not. But if you are a believer, you call yourself a believer here, well, it is great news for us that Jesus has the power to do these great things because it means we can pray. We can pray. If Jesus can do it from a distance there, he can do it from a distance now, knowing that Jesus is at the Father's side interceding for us. Let me tell you the true story of a mother. A mother whose teenage son was was on holiday abroad with some of his mates and one night the mum woke up in the night inexplicably with a burden to pray for her son asking God that that he would keep him safe and a few days later the son returns regaling her with stories of his holiday and he tells her the story of one evening when embarrassingly he had too much to drink and he'd been persuaded by his mates to climb into a wheelie bin they'd pushed him off down down a hill he'd flown across a busy road crashing into a wall on the other side. He was fine. He was unharmed. When had this happened? Well, at that exact moment that his mum had woken up in the night to pray for him. It's not a coincidence, is it? That's not a coincidence. That is a gracious, powerful act of God in response to one of his children coming to him in prayer. A prayer clearly prompted by God, as, as so often prayer is, but with an answer that is instant and yet recognised only a few days later. You see, if the danger of our our first point is that we are too focused on the way God makes himself known in our lives rather than on God himself, and I think the danger at the other end of the scale is that we don't think of God as one who can do extraordinary things in our lives now. 
maybe that's more the danger for us here today, that, that we somehow underappreciate his power to do the remarkable. Or we have a, a wrong sense of over-familiarity with God, that he, he can't do, us, do anything to shock us anymore. Maybe that's our danger now. Now, don't mishear what I'm about to say, but it, does, it doesn't say anywhere in God's word that he will answer our specific prayers. There are no promises about particular things we will pray for, and I know that most of us will have or will experience times when we pray for things, big, big things, and God does answer in the way that we would have hoped or longed for. Sad things, big things. God doesn't promise about those specific things. He, he does promise that if we trust in Jesus one day, he'll raise us up at the last day, a day when there'll be no more death or pain or crying or mourning. We, we can be absolutely confident of that. That is, that is the ultimate hope of the gospel, isn't it? But that doesn't mean that he will never do anything amazing before that day. I could tell you more stories that I've heard from around the world of, of Jesus doing amazing things, appearing to people in dreams, of Bibles miraculously appearing outside people's doors, of, of angels protecting people from serious danger. These aren't normal events. We shouldn't be expecting them to happen every day or, or have our faith dependent on them. But, but we shouldn't be surprised by them. And we should have a faith that believes that God could do them if he wants to. Because the more we see God's glory, his mercy, his power, his trustworthiness, the more we will pray and the bigger our prayers will be. So let's pray. Let's pray. Pray on your own. Pray after the service with people. Pray with your your prayer triplet. Pray with your small groups. Come to Prayer 150 in a couple of weeks' time. Pray for God to heal that serious illness. Pray pray that God would break that that persistent sinful habit that you can't seem to shake. Pray that God would change that hopeless situation that you feel trapped in. Pray for those things. And perhaps particularly pray for people to come to faith. We've seen today that's that's Jesus' ultimate aim, isn't it? To bring people new life. And God has promised that, that when we share the gospel, people will come to know him. Remember, Jesus' healing of the boy was a wonderful act of mercy. But the boy did die at some point. The boy did die at some point. Far bigger was Jesus bringing him and his whole family to new birth. If you are a believer here this morning, then that is only true because God has worked a powerful milk knot in your life. And he's done so in answer to people's prayers. Whether it's your parents or a friend at university who told you the gospel, God has brought you to faith because people were praying and because he's powerful and merciful. So pray. Pray for that person who came with you on Monday night to the God particle. Pray for those people who you're inviting to jazz carols again. Keep praying for that family member who seems so hard-hearted. God is powerful, merciful, and he loves to answer our prayers. And when we see him answering our prayers, it enlarges our view of him. We see his glory all the more. We started our time with some, some funny signs. Some signs that were there purely for our entertainment and our interest. Let's not see Jesus just like that, someone there for what we can get from him. And then we saw some other signs that were trying to lead people to do something, but spectacularly failed. Let's not let Jesus do that. Let's let his signs and wonders lead us to see his glory, to trust him, and to pray.
Why don't I lead us in a prayer now? Lord Jesus, we praise you for your mercy, for your power, and for your trustworthiness. We thank you that you have made yourself known, your glory to the world. And we pray for all of us that we would see your glory more and more. And that that would lead us to trust you and to pray to you with faith and expectation. That you might do wonderful things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.